everything has become so centered around, you know, obviously power, right? And then it's only power, heart rate, time, maybe cadence, which, you know, but for, I would say, and no offense, it's like maybe 90, 90%, this is where the training program ends, so to speak, right? And, um, and so I think that with all this great technology out there and all the possibilities, um, I think we maybe lost the focus a little bit on the technique in cycling and quality of movement. That triathlon show 180. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I welcome back Sebastian Weber to the podcast. Sebastian first appeared in episode 169 called FTP, VO2 Max, and VLA Max, What Triathletes Need to Know, and he's a sports scientist and a very successful coach. He has coached athletes like Peter Sagan and Tony Martin, and uh, he is also the co-founder of the physiological performance software called Insight that you've heard us talk about talk about on that episode, and in some other episodes as well. In this episode, however, however, we discuss cycling technique, or perhaps more specifically, quality of movement, and things like even holding a good aerodynamic position. And also we discuss a device called the Leomo Type R and how that can be used to improve these important but easily forgotten aspects of cycling and triathlon cycling. Before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. You can find on Precision Hydration's blog, one of the most popular posts is about sodium's impact on performance. And uh, there you can see that, and it's written by Andy Blow, by the way, and he writes there that, and links to a 2015 study that found that athletes who adequately replaced their sodium uh, that they lost in, the sw- in their sweat, they finished a middle distance triathlon on an average of 26 minutes faster than those who did not. Now, I haven't checked exactly how they controlled for uh, baseline level, etc., uh, but it's clear that sodium has a massive impact on performance and the longer the race and the hotter the temperature, then the more important it becomes. So precision hydration has a way of helping you create an individualized electrolyte plan, including sodium, of course, and that is a free sweat test consisting of 10 simple questions that you can answer in a few short minutes, and that will give you an individualized race strategy based on your sweat rate and sweat sodium content. So go to precisionhydration.com, take that free online sweat test, and then you can try your first box of Precision Hydration Electrolyte for free with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And big thanks to Roka, and we have something exciting bubbling here. Roka has created a giveaway for that Triathlon Show listeners and scientific triathlon followers, and this giveaway has as its main prize an entry to any Ironman race in the world plus a Maverick X wetsuit, which is just a brilliant wetsuit. It's the one that I use and love. And uh, this, along with a lot of other prizes, including high-performance sunglasses, Roka buoyancy shorts, R1 goggles, transition backpacks, etc. So there's more than $2,000 of prizes 
up for grabs in that giveaway. Uh, so definitely check it out and you can do so at roca.com forward slash TTS and just sign up and you'll be entered to win those prizes. And uh, I'll also link to that URL as well in the episode description, of course, and on the show notes for today's episode. Of course, for any normal, regular order on roca.com, as usual, you can get 20% off with the promo code TTS, all caps. So without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Sebastian Weber. I'm joined once again by Sebastian Weber. Sebastian, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's great. Yeah, it's great. And we have uh, an interesting topic once again. And this time we're going to talk about quality of movement in uh, in cycling. And uh, can you introduce that topic for us? What is it and why is it important? Well, let's say, you know, on a high level, so to speak. Um, and this also is a little bit about, about the background, how we came up with this topic here. Um, if... If I look back to my own times at like riding my bike more myself and, you know, being coached by somebody else. And also if you look to other sports, um, there's, there's a lot going on about, um, you know, quality of movement technique, you could call it or coaching in movement, right? Um, I mean, talking about triathlon, the most obvious sport, the most obvious discipline is swimming, right? A lot of your swimming training or a lot of swimming training somebody might do might be actually centered around technique training, right? Uh, better position in the water, more efficient arm strokes, so on and so forth. And same is true for a lot of other, other sports, same is true for running. And again, looking back in the, you know, historical development of cycling training or cycling training and triathlon, everything has become so centered around, you know, obviously power, right? And then it's only power, heart rate, time, maybe cadence, which, you know, but for, I would say, and no offense, it's like maybe 90, 90%, this is where the training program end, so to speak, right? And, um, and so I think that with all this great technology out there and all the possibilities, um, I think we maybe lost the focus a little bit on the technique in cycling and quality of movement and you know, you can say being more efficient or um you know uh, preventing injuries and different like, these kind of things right has been more dominant um years back and i think we lost it a little bit and um in the professional sports is still there right like when 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 a coach or myself or somebody follows professional riders in the car you're you're still looking for for um you know the quality of movement and maybe even correct that and coach the coach the athletes so is the benefit more so on the injury prevention side or are we also talking about real performance benefit like you can improve your uh, your efficiency uh, on on the bike and uh, waste less energy and uh, what what are the, the benefits of higher quality of movement in cycling specifically well well it's 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 different things right so it is um it is the efficiency in terms of um total energy expenditure and don't get me wrong i think we can dive into this a little bit deeper um don't don't get me wrong the pure leg movement the pure leg movement and the and the transformation from um metabolic energy into mechanical energy there's not so much you can change and that's not so much you can really train um but efficiency in terms of uh other movement 
that need energy or stabilizing your body on the bike that needs extra energy or effort. Um, that's something you can work in terms, in, in terms of efficiency. Then you, of course, have um, the, um, the the quality of movement in terms of are you really aero, like especially in triathlon, aerodynamics is, is a big part when we talk about technique um, on, on the bike. And, um, and then of course you have the pure technical ability, so to speak, being able to corner faster, descend faster, these kind of things, right? So, um, and this is, you know, this is really, really important. And I think, you know, in the last years you've seen maybe, we've seen people like Cameron Wirth, who comes from professional cycling background and maybe has, again, no offense, a little bit better skills on the bike, so to speak, than some other professional triathletes. Yeah, that that makes sense. That and and I was just thinking back. I did a race this weekend and and uh, had a very good race. Uh, very strong bike, one of the strongest on the day. But uh, I was thinking after the race and when I was doing my race review that I could have gained at least a minute and a half if I had uh, pre-ridden the course because then I would have been able to uh, to corner more aggressively than what I ended up doing because it was a very hilly hilly course. So so yeah. all of those things they they do add up. It's not just about power. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Uh, there is yeah. there is a, a new uh, kind of technology. Uh, it's a device called the Liamo Type R that uh, has uh, gained some some traction in recent years, uh, maybe a couple of years or so. And uh, can you talk about that because you've been using it a lot, or uh, to some extent at least, you can maybe tell us about how much you've been using it and what you're using it for. Yeah, I have. I actually have no idea how long it's how how long it's really out. Um, I've been using it for approximately a year now um, in coaching in coaching athletes. Um, so, I mean, for people who don't know what it is, it's like a, it's like a bike computer to start with. Um, it's like all the functions GPS and INT plus signals, like. But additionally, it it connects to some motion sensors, so some sensors which which you can put on specific parts of the body of the cyclist or triathlete, and then these sensors will basically track the movements of the athletes on the bike. And I started to use it basically. I mean, I also do a lot of remote coaching, right? I mean, I live in the area where there are a lot of cyclists, professional cyclists. This is why I moved here, but. Um, at the end, I mean, obviously, I can't follow the riders every day, right? So, um, of course, you know, I did follow a lot in training, like following with a car or with a scooter, follow guys uh, very closely like Greipel or Tony Martin and so on. But obviously, that's not something you can, even not as a coach in professional sports, that's not something you can you can do every day, so to speak. And so, I started using Zileomo mainly because out of, out, out of that interest to be able so to speak, without leaving my house, so to speak, without uh, without the need to go outside um, um, and and spend five, six, seven hours in the car, being able to to know um, what the athlete is doing um, in training in terms of movement and technique or quality of movement on the bike. Um, so yeah, this bike computer tracks all your current, all your normal metrics in combination with the um, with uh, uh, with the with the movement data. And as as you know, I think it's mostly used in the in the area of um, well, it's widely used in the area. I don't know, I don't know if it's mostly, but it's widely used in the area of like uh, bike fitters and biomechanics. Um, but uh, for me, the main benefit really is really is 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 in coaching athletes, and I think there's more and more coaches um, 
I've I've talked to uh, uh, using it, and it's definitely sneaking its ways into into professional cycling. I know that um, you know I know several cyclists who use it uh, in training, so to speak, right? Unofficially, because it's not like a, it's not like their their sponsorship by computer or something. But I know that a lot of professionals are using it in training um, to have uh, to have a better control on their and feedback. On their quality of movement. Yeah, and I know that Hunter Allen and the Peaks Coaching Group—they've they, been pretty big on on this device and, and been involved in the development of it as well. So uh, that's an example of, right. of a right. a big coaching focused coaching yeah. coaching group. So not not just bike yeah. fitting. What what are if you give some examples? What, what are the movement variables or parameters that it measures? For example, we don't have to go into everything, but some of the most interesting or most important ones that uh, that you are using in your coaching. <laughs> well, so there's there there's standard standard um, analysis or features built in, um, like looking at um, at the smoothness, so to speak, of the pedal stroke. I mean, obviously, that's something what every everybody would come up with, like you know how smooth is my pedal stroke. So that's something the device is analyzing. It's analyzing foot and leg angles, so foot movements and and leg movements, and I think especially in the world of triathlon, it's very interesting to look at what it does in terms of positioning of upper body and, um, and, and, and hip angles. So it can analyze, it can track hip movement, uh, hip rocking and hip rotation, but it can also track, um, uh, you know, um, hip angle and, and also torso angle. So just, you know, I mean, we don't have to make it too over complicated. I give you one. I give you one implication straight away. If you if you are um, amateur recreational triathlete, and you understand that aerodynamics are important, and we are talking about the most aerodynamic wheel set, helmet, position on the bike, right? We do. We go to the bike fitter. We maybe do aerodynamic testing with this this in Garmin Aero system on the velodrome or whatsoever. But the biggest influencer of your aerodynamics is obviously your position, right? And being able to stay in this position. So what I can do with this device and what how I use it in my coaching, very simple. I mean, again, I'm not a biomechanicist or bike fitter or anything by by, by any means. I just I just track, for example, using the torso angle, using the hip angle. I can just track if my athlete is actually riding in his aero position. Or you as an athlete, you can track it yourself, right? Because this is where it starts. I can have the most fancy or fastest uh, aero wheels or helmets, or I can have a, a super fast aerodynamic position on my bike. If I'm not able to ride it, if I'm not able to ride it, then um, it's it's worth nothing, right? I mean, all of this technology is worth nothing. And that's basically my point when it comes to poaching. Coaching. Think about this one. When I when I ask when I when I talk to people and say how many, how much time did you stay in your training zone? What was your average power output? How much time or how much energy did you spend in your specific training zones? Everybody knows it or can look it up on their computer. If I ask you how many minutes out of your three-hour training ride did you actually ride in your error position? This already you know there's no measurement. There's no monitoring of this, and this is very simple. What what I do with this in, in coaching, I'm able to analyze how much time did the athlete spend in the aero position. And then of course with a time trialist, like for example, take Tony Martin, you would you would prescribe specific 
specific TT training sessions, then I, I, of course, I can control if, if the athlete stayed in his TT position in this effort in the most simple case. In the more advanced case, then you can also look how stable was he, for example, from one interval to the other with like adding fatigue or accumulating fatigue. Um, was he was he sitting maybe at aero position, but maybe not in a good quality? And what I mean with that is, did he would start to have more hip movement? Did he would start would he start to to slip on the saddle or become more instable? Right? Uh, do you see more upper body movement because he gets tired and he's moving a lot on the bike? These kind of things I can also see, and then I can say, okay, maybe from a physiological metabolic point of view, I wanted to do him whatever six by six minute whatever power output. But because he's losing quality of movement, I maybe only want to do him at five times or five by five minutes, right? Because I see always the last minute is not good quality. And think about it. That's exactly the same thing that you would do in swimming, for example, or in other sports, right? If you are fatigued and the quality of your arm stroke is not very good, you're not taking out the pedals and give it another trigger and another you know, spike of intensity or load and make it more difficult, Right. And so, but that's basically my point here. We are not, not, not a lot of people are doing that in cycling. And I think there's a lot of potential um, to become a f better and most importantly, a faster bike rider. Um, and it is kind of, if you think about training wise, it is kind of free speed, right? If I train, if, I'm, if I have the time to train with, say, let's say eight hours per week, I wanted to have it as efficient as possible. And everybody thinks about efficient, like, oh, yeah, I have to stay in my right training zone. I have to be exactly what my training zone is. Yeah, sure, all true. But again, if you are not able to stay in your aero position for five and a half hours, which is maybe what is your Ironman bike split, if you're not able to stay in this position efficiently, comfortably, then it's worse. Your, your nice position is, is worth nothing. And Training that and monitoring that and being able to monitor the progress um, with that, I think there's a there's a big big value in this. How would you then, if you see that somebody is uh, they're slipping in their position and they can't hold the same quality aero position as uh, you maybe expected when you gave them a, a session, like in in some interval session, for example, how would you work to then improve that quality of movement so that they can? Uh, can work to completing that session the way that you would like them to would you go by just doing more practice at lower intensities or or how would you go about that i think the first step is to understand is it a general issue like do you have an athlete who is generally moving or slipping on this on the um on the on the saddle who is in generally not able to hold his position or is this happening either so to speak with fatigue so can you link it to fatigue or can you link it to intensity? Um, if it's the first one, if there's like a general uh, instability um, on, you know, riding in the TT position, then one of the first things I would do, I would, I would have, have a, a closer look at the bike fit, right? Maybe the saddle is too high or it's a wrong saddle or things like that. Um, you know, there's, um, that's really, there's a company called GBOMized. They really have, uh, you know, that's really their, their main focus. Um, they have, and they have like, they do, they educate bike fitters basically. And I think what, you know, those people know much, much more about it than, than I do, but it's mostly in most cases it's, a, it's kind of a you, you can you you can solve this with kind of a bike fitting, um, um the, yeah, uh, do like a, a bike fitting to to fix that. 
And then if it's not in general, if it's happening with intensity or fatigue, um, then yeah, you might still be making a little bit better with a bike fitting, but then you, you would start to understand and maybe do a little bit deeper dive into okay where is this coming from why this is is he losing maybe the cadence changes uh maybe you know there's an for example there's an inc a decrease in in cadence and therefore there's an increase in torque and therefore the athlete so to speak lifts himself more out of the saddle think about the force pushing down the the, the pedal and the counter force is created it, it's creating so um so there might be some implications where you can work on with like, you know, maybe some specific core exercises or, and you might at least temporarily change the training program. Like I said, do less intensity or less repetitions or just one rep is shorter. And therefore you do more to still get the total amount of time spent in this zone. Right. And then if it's, yeah, if you need a quick fix um, for things, um, I mean, a lot of the people know the Tony Martin story with grip tape on the on the saddle. So of course, there's also like quick fixes where you say, okay, well, I need just some anti anti slip on my on my seat. Um, grip tape is maybe not the best one because you need a lot of 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 bike shorts. Then um, spray glue, by the way, also works very nice. There were some years where we use spray glue just before the time trials. So that's like the little. For, like if it's a non-big issue, so to speak, and you need a quick fix for 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 this instability on the saddle. Hmm, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, just uh, an FYI, I lost you there in the middle for a little while. So if I repeat something that you said, that's why. But I think that your recording will will come through anyway for the listeners, so so they will have heard everything you said. But I, I missed a little bit there in the middle. Okay. If I if I repeat some questions, okay. but what, one thing that I wanted to ask here related to this was. Uh, in general, for for triathletes especially, and but we you can also talk about time trialists. So so both cases, if there is a difference, uh, and uh, and in the triathlon context specifically, draft non draft triathlon, uh, how much time trial position training would you recommend doing, and and how much is non time trial position, or is that just a choice of the athletes whether they do those sessions in or out of the time trial position? Well, as you say, it, it depends, obviously, um, if you're talking about an Ironman or some kind of drafting race versus a non-drafting race, right? Um, I think that's, that's the first point to understand. If you're, if you are in a drafting race, Olympic distance, then there's not really, you know, there's not really a point to train several hours in the TT position. It changes, obviously, entirely when you talk about Ironman and, and, um, these kind of, of, of efforts. And, um, I think honestly, there is no upper limit to how much time you should train in the TT position. Um, let's put it this way. You should be able to ride all your training in the TT position if you have to, so to speak, in a good quality without that definitely the, the, the need that you have to do it. But you should be able to ride all of the or the majority of your, of your bike training in the TT position without having pain. Um, without having, you know, seating problems, without loss of quality of movement. And this is similar to, to like time trialing, like in the, in the, in the world of professional bike riding. Um, when, you know, when a guy like Tony Martin prepares for his, uh, for his world championships, um, you know, he would, he would ride up to like five hours on his DT bike. Um, just like, like every training, so to speak, would happen on the TT bike and rarely something would happen on the, on the road bike. Right. Um, 
So that's that's really important. And one indicator, for example, besides the quality of the movement and controlling that, this is like the, the deeper dive. Is is okay if you are if you are time trial, so you are you are a triathlete, and your power output on the road bike or road bike position is higher than it is on the TT bike, then you definitely need to train more on the TT bike because when you're really accustomed, when you're really adapted to it, then you know it should not be lower. That's homework for me personally then. <laughs> uh, and uh, that brings me to another question as well. Would you recommend doing all sorts of intensities in the TT position? Like if you have uh, intervals above threshold, for example, even up to VO2 max intervals, would you recommend doing them in the TT position or out of the TT position? Or does that depend on whether you are already adapted to the TT position completely or not? What's your take on that? Well, in general, that's the goal, right? In general, you want to do your specific exercises in your specific uh, position or technique, right? Um, that's that's what that's what you want to do. And this is the same for other sports, right? If you are if you are a butterfly swimmer, you want to do your specific race specific intervals in butterfly and not in breaststroke, right? Um, might sound silly, but this is how obvious it is, I think. Um, now in in, in triathlon, um, you know your your um, your race intensity might be well below your threshold or VO to max intervals or whatever kind of high intensity intervals you're talking about here. Um, so there it it's maybe not that obvious but then still it is a, it is a, you know it's one of the highest stimulus so to speak it's one of the most so to speak demanding or difficult scenarios of training you have the high intensity so therefore yes um you should be able to do all of those uh, in your tt position and i mean in in like in in like bike training for 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 bike riders that's a given that's a given that you have to do the specific intervals in your specific position, similar to my swimming example. And if you can't do that, or is this kind of unknown to you, and you ask me about, okay, this is a goal, how do I get there? Then again, I would go back and say, okay, let's if if you if you struggle doing this, then let's go into this issue and analyze it and find out why. And yeah, classically, I would just again, you know, jump on the scooter and follow the guy and see what's going on. Um, or like, like, like this other example where you use something like Zeliomo to 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 just you know track it and analyze it, which then obviously has a benefit to it that you can that you can monitor the progress, right? You can maybe have an idea why somebody's not able to to write. Um, the hard intensity and the intervals in his arrow position, and you can also be able to to monitor the progress. Um, so that's 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 a neat thing, which yeah, which which I'm doing um, also with the pro riders during the season because you know there are seasons where there's part of the seasons where they use the TT bike more, and there are part of the season where they don't use the TT bike at all. And then when you trans when you transition from one from one part of the season to the other, then I think it's really helpful um, to understand how the you know adaptation to the TT position uh, um, you know is is coming along. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I I thought of one other thing as well, and that is uh, the testing that you do to establish what your high intensity work should be, uh, like how uh, what power numbers you're looking for. Uh, I think that a lot of athletes they're doing their tests perhaps your inside tests with, with your software or just classic ftp tests 
sitting up because that gives them higher power numbers and it's uh, sort of an ego boost but then it might be impossible to reach those numbers in the tt position yeah. so if you actually test in the tt position then uh, then you're setting yourself up for success in training as well and it doesn't really matter that the power numbers are a bit lower you'll work up to to getting to that stage when you can do both tt position or sitting up on the road bike at, at similar powers as you mentioned yeah and and by the way you can do um we are doing we're doing tests also for the for the quality uh, of movement or the technique so for example we talked about that we we talked about this instability on the saddle and movement on the saddles right or movement of upper body which can either come by fatigue or by with with high intensity so you can actually test this very easy right you can go out and just do whatever let's say four or five steps maybe starting at you know something like 50% of ftp so rather low and then step up the intensity like from a zone 3 you know and you and you ride and in you ride at each level um and it hasn't ha that doesn't have to be precisely whatever 250 watts or whatever your zone your target zone is right you just ride at different intensities each intensity step for like three, four, five minutes and you basically ramp up the intensity and then you can monitor you know very nicely what is happening so you can identify at what intensity is my pedal stroke not smooth anymore or maybe even get smoother right at what power output in the tt position do i start to move or slip on the saddle and not i'm not stable anymore on the saddle or what obviously what you can see on tv <laughs> uh, a lot with the tt guys for example at what intensity for example does my torso start to move or um, another thing about aerodynamics, by the way, um, in this in this scenario, beside all these things that I just mentioned, influence the aerodynamics, is that at a higher intensity, your torso angle will not be the same. Like it's pretty known, like in aerodynamic bike fittings, that when you go, for example, in a wind tunnel or also in the velodrome or just bike fitting on the trainer in the studio, that at low intensity, your position is obviously different. And one of the main parts here is that is that um, the upper body angle is 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 different and this changes with intensity so that's another thing which you can which you can or should maybe test for and monitor right because again it is free speed if a change in upper body angle costs you 10 20 watts then you should ask yourself in terms of speed right for the same speed you need 10 or 20 watts more then we should ask ourselves okay how much do we need to train in terms of hours and time and zones and so on to gain this 10 to 20 watts and how much easier it would be to just be able to understand this monitor it in training and you know just come to the point with with a coach by myself or with the help of a bike fit or whoever it is um to be able to ride a, a more aerodynamic position right and not spend just more time on just with the same amount of training you have per week so to speak absolutely yeah that makes sense You, you mentioned that uh, in terms of uh, the pedaling mechanics, there's not that much that you can do. But I know that the Leomo, uh, well, you talked about smoothness and, and it does measure some other things from uh, what uh, reading I did about it, like dead spots, etc. So can is there something, is there any value in those sort of metrics, the, the pedaling uh, mechanics? And are you using it in your coaching and or is it really, really marginal or, or not useful at all? Well, I think I think I think it is it is of high value to look at these things and to analyze 
pedal smooth. And I'll just let you explain real, real quick what pedal smoothness means. What it's really looking at is, so to speak, the speed of you know within one revolution. If it's like if it's like a constant speed, or for example, at one of the dead spots, do you do you have a do you have a, a change in speed, right? Um, of of like you know the pedal or the the, the crank speed, so to speak. Um, and so yes, there is great value in here, but. I think why this question comes up and why people are like, okay, how important is this? I think we have to differentiate between um, is there value in there in terms of, oh yeah, let's let's train round pedaling, right? Um, no, that's not what what you use it for, right? Or is it understanding, for example, again, something around some aspects around fatigue, for understanding something about um, not a good bike fit. Right. Understand something about left and right leg differences. Understand something about injury pre prevention here. If you see, for example, after four hours on the bike, uh, your pedal smoothness changes. So there's a lot of applications for that. I think that you know a lot of people think like, oh yeah, it's pedal smoothness. You know, it has something to do with round pedaling and up pulling up in the upstroke phase and blah 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 blah. No, that's really not what it is. Right, um, but I think this is how we are how we are wired, so to speak. What we first times you know think about it. Yeah, and and it makes sense. For example, the example with the four hour ride, if the pedal smoothness changes and you can see a a chart of of it uh, of it decreasing, then that's easy to to see it's a, an individual trend. One other thing that because we have pedal smoothness with some parameters, for example, Garmin has their cycling dynamics, so so we can see that with Garmin vectors. Yeah. Uh, but the the thing that uh, I think is uh, it I, I don't have I have don't have any idea what is a good reference number for pedal smoothness. Is that something that you've established or you know uh, what what you're looking for? If you can you compare riders inter-individually or is it really an intra-individual uh intra-individual aspect of of the yeah 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 i think i think we are not uh, in terms of you know biomechanics and cycling we are not as far down the road as we can understand okay this is a general number it's not like your vo2 max or body fat number because yeah, yeah this is high this is low um because as you say it's it's really individual but i give you one example i give you one example where where you know what was what was really uh, um very interesting and this is i think how you can and 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 should use it um it's about under so 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 what you get uh for example from 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 the software which which comes with that uh what or what what you might want to look at is the pedal smoothness at different intensities and also at different uh cadences at different rpms right so i give you one example when we tested Cameron Wurf last year um with with that system or we analyzed this training uh, with this system um on on a on a bike parkour, which was part of an Ironman parkour, so in really realistic conditions. The interesting thing is that um, his pedal smoothness had the best score at exactly his race intensity and his so his race power and his race RPMs. And so this is the way to go here, to understand, well, maybe you have a great pedal smoothness, right? Maybe. But maybe it is at 100 watts at 70 RPM. So it's not important because if you raise your Ironman at 250 at 75 or 85 RPM or whatsoever, then look for this, right? Um, or if you're a time trialist 
and you know maybe in training you always have a, a super great like like it's called dead spot score right so again talking about uh so doing dead spots and the speed or acceleration in the in the pedal stroke um maybe it's super low but maybe it's intensity you're interested in it is it is very high and this is your comparison this is your benchmark so to speak right because if in general you are able if you in general you are able to to have a smoother pedal stroke at some kind of circumstances at some kind of rpm or or power output then there's your reference point then there's your reference point and this is the goal you can use to train for right and so this is where it starts understanding Pedal smooth, and this is again what the, what the software that that comes with it does automatically. Underst understanding dead spot score and pedal smoothness at um, at different intensities and different RPMs, and then compare this to the to the use case you're interested in. Compare this to your TT effort or your Ironman effort or half Ironman effort or whatsoever, right? And then you have a goal to work towards. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. Uh, so we've heard a couple of, of really good examples already of movement quality in general uh, are there any other examples that come to mind where uh, you've worked on this with with athletes with uh, any aspect of movement quality that that you can think of that would be interesting to to share with the listeners well well look if you want to if you want to like what we talked about so far is like the standard application right uh, if you want to go a little bit into the nerdy direction or into the direction of what is maybe I don't know, maybe even coming out per default out of the device. Basically what you get, right? You get motion sensors, accelerometers, gyroscopes in those little sensors. And you, you just put them again on the thighs, on the, on the, on the hip, on the torso, whatsoever. But you can put it basically everywhere, right? So for example, what we did a lot, which is very, very helpful. And I think there's an application, a trial on as well. Um, I just glued, I just put one. Like you know, it's a bit of double-sided uh, glue tape. I just glued one in the in the TT helmet, right? And then you can understand basically from outside. I can sit at home and I can understand if somebody during his TT effort, when he's when he's asked to ride stable in his TT position, does he move his head? Does he move his head? How often? How much? Uh, you know, this is what I can understand. And then again, you can take it a level deeper and say does it change with different intensities or fatigue or whatsoever but i think this is i mean just think about the decision of buying a helmet long tail short tail right um the general perception is yeah long tail is not as good because when you move your helm when, when you move your head a lot then you know the tail sticks up and these kind of things but in general right it's part it's part of quality of movement it's part of how good are you technically riding your tt position Right, so maybe you force yourself riding the TT position, but it results in in a compensation movement moving the head around. Right, so these are the things I can I can measure from home, so to speak, or analyze afterwards as an athlete. So, for example, when I'm following a pro a pro rider in a professional time trial race, like a world championships. The most spoken work, word is through the radio is head down, keep your head down, keep your head down, keep your head down. Because it's aerodynamically so so important, right? And now I can just I just stick a you know one of these sensors in the helmet, and there's even a map next to it. I can even understand where on the parkour was he able, you know, to um, to um, to to keep his head in the right position. So, for example, the head maybe comes up, but then maybe on the on the map I see oh there was a corner, 
right? So, for of course, the helmet, the helmet would come up because he had to see a little bit better. He had to have a be better vision. So, there's basically there's kind of no limit on like the applications. Um, like the helmet is one of the most, I think, compelling, you know, applications of it. Um, we've played around putting it on shoulders. Like if you heard about the shoulder shrug to be more, um, to, you know, to be more, um, uh, more arrow, right? Um, I even, I even glued one on the, on a, on a water bottle because every, every time the athlete drinks, the accelerometer recognizes this. And then I can understand how often the athlete, you know, took out the bottle in terms of hydration. So there's every, all kind of a little bit nerdy, crazy stuff you can do with that. Yeah, that, that's a brilliant example with the with the helmet, especially. I think that's uh, that's incredibly smart. Uh, so yeah, it it really op opens up a whole new world with uh, with this kind of technology. Yeah, I mean, you could put it on your hands, right? You could put it on the hands, uh, thighs, obviously. Helmet shoulders is something very very interesting. And then again, like I mean, even funny things like the water bottle. I mean, this can help, right? Because because how many athletes you know dehydrate or forgot to drink and and how much as a coach think you like you know as a coach how much control do you have about this how much knowledge do you have about how regularly athlete drinks nothing zero yeah right so um, how much how much like the same thing I right? I can ask an athlete did you how much time did you spend in your training zone yes how much time did you spend in your error position hmm. nothing how much time did you spend holding your 300 euros uh, error helmet in the correct position, right? Also, no information. And now I do have this. And this is coming back to your initial question. This is why this is why and how I use it, right? I know that there are other people out there who use this technology in a much deeper way for bike fitting and stuff. But for me, it's really just the coaching, right? It improves the coaching so much without the need to add more hours to the training. Yeah. And but this is a device then that uh, and the athlete, each athlete that you as a coach coach needs to have this because it's a by computer for for them individually. Can it, can it also be used in a self coaching context? And and if so, would you recommend it? Like how steep of a learning curve is it? What basically who should consider potentially buying a Leomo device? Well, you know, as always, if you are deep into something, if you have a some some kind of understanding of something then then it seems a little bit easier right um so i would think it depends on where you are coming from um you know putting like misusing so to speak a sensor and put it on a bike on a, on a water bottle and be able to read the, the raw data so to speak might be might be a little bit too far off for for the for you know for for the general public publication uh, um, population here um in terms of like looking at something like the hip angles or torso angles or even even the little hack with the helmet um that is something that is i think very well presented in the in the um uh in the software and very easy to understand and very nicely visualized um I mean, I don't know. For me, really, um, I know again that that it's mostly currently used used in 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 in, in bike fitting, um, like the technology from GBMIs or something. But um, for me, it's really a coaching tool, and it's really part of a self coaching tool. So if you like, in my personal opinion, I would say, yeah, um, you know, I I would consider for every athlete to have one. Um, 
but it might be you know it depends a little bit on how technical you know you are as an athlete right if you are if you are looking on all your garmin data and you like numbers and you don't want to be very precise on on your training um then that's definitely something i would consider having having also as an athlete um and there is some learning curve but on the other hand i mean come on with power meters there was also a learning curve right and we also got around it yeah so, yeah changing a flat tire has a learning curve and that's something <laughs> that we want to do. well for me to be honest uh, the, 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 the actual generation of aero bikes has a learning curve and i just want to want to change the arm pads <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so uh, so that's uh, that's really really great about the the leomo and, and the movement quality it, it brings to mind one one more thing that i want to ask uh, we don't have this in the in the questions but uh have you looked into the new aero sensors coming out uh, for real-time aerodynamic measurements is that something that you you've been working with using or are following closely at all? yeah i've been following it closely um there were there already have been some some uh, some connections um some years ago with the, with the early prototypes um yeah so that's 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 for me a, a, a very very good technology um, a great technology um which which you might want to use um really and um and it is kind of it is you you i see it in terms of triathlon training or tt training i see it as a connection point between the power meter and your like what we just talked about some kind of quality movement control like Ziliomo, because it tells you like your cdl values in real time right and it even computes your cdl values pretty good um so it tells you CDA as a yeah basically as a marker for aerodynamics, um, and then you would still not be able to understand directly from that number when it goes up or down or is better or, or worse or lower or higher. You would not necessarily understand why this is, and this is then basically where the Leomo kicks in and it tells you okay your CDA went up because your torso angle is different, your hip angle is different, your shoulders are different, your 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 helmet is different, right? So. This, the, the arrow stick is something like, you could see it like the arrow stick is something like your running economy, which tells you, okay, this is how aerodynamic you are, but it tells, doesn't tell you why. And this is where basically the, the Leomo kicks in. Yeah. And by the way, I saw on the Leomo website that they also use it for strength training, for example, like measuring uh, hip angles, et cetera, in, in powerlifting. But uh, I was thinking can it can it be used uh, uh while running like could you have your coach could be on your scooter next to you running with <laughs> with that computer and you have the sensors on you could, could that be a possible possible use case ah uh, yeah that was one of my first questions when i first saw it can i use it in running i used it i used it in running in a in a in a, in a specific test scenario with this this cameron um in 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 january uh this year so there are some there are some implications uh, and use cases how you can use it in running there's also a new technology um called lvs out there but i think we don't have to dive into that too much here because this is really a coaching application tool um and not for the athletes i think um but yeah there are some there are some use cases in 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 running and i and i think um running will be the next big, big thing there in analyzing you know your running technique um i think there will be i think there will be more to come um i also ask about swimming because as you might know i i 
I work with some swimming federations. So, and then obviously in swimming, the, 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 the movement is, is also highly important. Um, but unfortunately, there's a, there's an issue with transmitting the data through the water. Yeah. So, um, that's an issue. But yeah, um, I think we will see something in running, um, with, with that technology and it might be even more exciting. Um, and then swimming might be something as well, but that's, yeah, there's more technical issues. Have you worked with, there are some alternative uh, devices for swimming. Like I think it's called Triton, a Canadian device. And then there's a Finnish company, uh, TrainSense, that makes a smart paddle, like a really small finger paddle uh, that I've actually tried. Uh, and uh, I don't know exactly how the Triton works, but I know that the Norwegian Triathlon Federation uses it, among others. Yeah, Have you used any of yeah, those or yeah. similar? Yeah, so so there are come some connections between um, uh, Triton and Insight um, for because but Triton gives you like what Triton basically mostly does for you. It it's like monitoring all your all your swim training. It understands swimming times, um, strokes, uh, so stroke rate, gliding times, um, what kind of what kind of stroke you're you're swimming in. Um, obviously, speeds and it it just monitors all these things for you, right? So think about it as your as your swim computer, similar to your Garmin watch or your your SAM power meter, right? That that basically monitors all your training data, like like you would monitor cadence and heart rate and 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 speed and power and these kind of things or torque and altitude, and this is basically what um, what Triton is in swimming, right? It monitors like your complete training. You could afterwards say, okay, whatever, this is the speed and this is the number of repetitions I should have done. This is what's prescribed on my on my training schedule, and and compare it to, to what the try to measure it for you. And so you don't have to write it down while swimming or something. And then the other one, the, 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 the Finnish one is a really, really great take a piece of technology here, um, which can really analyze like your arm stroke and these kind of things, um, uh, in a highly precise, in a highly precise way. Um, that's, I think at this given moment, um, not so much, uh, a, a day in day out training tool which is used by the athlete i think at this moment is a little bit more still a diagnostic tool but um i think it will there's a potential that it that it becomes more you know of a of a training tool um in the in the future so there's definitely a lot of exciting technologies out there for these kind of things okay and and final question uh, then are there any any updates anything exciting that you're working with 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 inside uh, your software or or any other projects that you want to mention <laughs> well there are some there are some um yeah there are some i think very exciting things uh coming up um about um training uh, looking more deeper into what you're doing in training and also about uh, pacing, uh, especially in Ironman or, or triathlon. Um, but I don't want to don't want to touch on this really. Um, just a li- the- just just a little teaser. <laughs> what <laughs> what it's all about. <laughs> Well, well, look. Um, I mean, what, 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 what we do have, what we do have in the pipeline, what is coming out uh, very, very soon is a is a new version of our power only, power only testing. It is it is much, much, much uh, more versatile um, uh, in terms of uh, obtaining the data. So that that's a big step. That is like the like the an, an update of an existing function. It's a major update. And it's basically starting also, we're starting to morph the lactate testing with the power-only testing. So it's really these two worlds, like if you think about critical power curves or power duration curves and 
W prime and these kind of things, we are really morphing it into the pure physiological part because yeah, you want to understand how critical power is composed, how W prime is composed. That is one part um, that is that that is yeah that is already in the beta phase, so very very far with that. With the other part where you ask for teasers, it is it is mainly coming from our users, especially in the world in triathlon. That um, actually a lot of people are doing are doing um, are doing testing with Insight um, for pacing and fueling strategies. So you might have seen one of the publications about Cameron last year. Um, you know, it's basically you know basically tackling the question: How much energy should I should I spend on the bike? And how much energy should I spend on the run? How much do I need to eat? How fast can I run? These kind of these these kind of questions. And the the answers are partly already in in what you get right now. And this is what a lot of coaches, triathlon coaches, and testing centers have used it for. Uh, basically, doing like their yeah, performance testing only for the prescription of that. And it's it's there's. Um, really, really good experience because we get very, very good results in terms of the pacing and because of ensuring that you're not bonking, but it's not a feature of its own. So it's a little bit cumbersome to 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 get to this results and take this data from the software. And there might be something where we take a little bit deeper dive into that to be more precise um, and more realistic and, you know, being able to Give 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 the athlete uh, advice um, on how how to pace and what to eat and so to speak um, uh, how to fuel and pace in triathlon. All right, perfect. And uh, for those interested in more about about that, go and listen to episode 169 when Sebastian was on last time and talked about FTP, VO2 max, and VLA max, and things related to the uh, metabolism of exercise physiology and and how it how it applies to to endurance sports and, and what power is composed of and many many other interesting things and including how you can actually test and measure these these things and work on them so uh, that's about it for this interview sebastian thank you so much for coming on once again and sharing your knowledge thank thanks for for having me again it was great thank you all right i hope that you enjoyed that interview the main takeaway really for me here is that it's not so much about whether you use the Leomo type R or not. We actually did talk about this with Sebastian before the interview, and he made it very clear that uh, this is not the Leomo episode, but it's the movement quality episode. And uh, it's entirely 100% my fault that Leomo is in the title, because, hey, I just think that more people are going to find this episode on Google. So I'm really not trying to promote the Leomo, but trying to promote my podcast. Either way, so so that's not the, the point. The Leomo isn't the point so much as the movement quality. And, uh, and the point here being, do not ignore how important that is, even though cycling seems simple enough. It's uh, movement quality and technique and uh, position has been swept under the carpet a bit. Uh, and the cycling and triathlon world is becoming more and more single-mindedly focused on power, as we discussed. And uh, if you want to become your best you as a cyclist, then you shouldn't get single-mindedly focused on, on anything. You need to have a, a broad view and uh, be aware of everything that influences cycling performance. And movement quality is, uh, is one of those things. So uh, you want to make sure that you get that right and, uh, and have that in mind with or without the Leomo. 
So maybe a, a simple and uh, free start to this would be to simply partnering up with a cycling buddy and observing each other over the course of a long ride. And that way, perhaps you can identify if there are some key flaws that really stick out. Those could be identified as simple as that. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com and I'll link to the previous episode with Sebastian, episode 169, FTP, VO2 Max and VLA Max. And uh, of course, we can link, we'll link to Leomo's website so you can learn more about the Leomo device as well. In the next episode, I interview Professor John Hawley, who is one of the leading researchers in the world on sports nutrition. If you follow the this endurance sports world and research world, academic world, uh, then you know that this is uh, definitely a big scoop. So I'm very happy to have John on the podcast. His expertise is in the interaction between exercise and diet on fat and carbohydrate regulation, as well as the cellular and molecular basis of endurance sports adaptations. And what he'll do is to give us a complete update on what we actually know as of today about endurance sports nutrition and where evidence is still lacking. So uh, you definitely want to uh, to subscribe so that you don't miss that episode because it will be a doozy, I think. Uh, and uh, finally, I want to mention the inside testing, inside metabolic testing. If you listen to the previous episode with Sebastian, this is kind of timely because I haven't really promoted it since launching that service. But you can learn everything about it on scientifictriathlon.com. Just click the inside testing uh, tab in the menu. And uh, I have tested around about 30 to 40 athletes since launching the service and uh, mostly podcast listeners. And the feedback so far has been really, really amazing. And one thing in particular that I want to mention and highlight that I keep hearing is that the information that I give you as part of signing up for the service uh, about interpreting and actually applying the results. Uh, I get this feedback all the time that that information is super helpful and really practical and actionable. So you just don't just get numbers that tell you that this is your physiology, but you actually get an action plan and uh, a plan, a strategy for moving forward and how you can improve your cycling based on those results. So I'm really happy to have received great feedback on that and uh, check out the inside testing tab on, on scientifictriathlon.com if you want to learn more and make the most out of your bike training. Big thanks finally to our sponsors Roka that you can find on roka.com. Be sure to go and sign up for that giveaway. It lasts for three weeks until the 26th of May and it's on roka.com forward slash TTS. And thanks to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get your individual hydration strategy and get your first box of pH product for free with the promo code Show, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.